Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It's Michael C. Bouchard, the host of the Night Stalker podcast. This is season two, episode 266, and I hope this goes a little better than the last two for the simple reason is we are out of studio in a newer location, and we have been having some audio problems and noise problems that uh, we normally don't have. With that... Mike, this is Terry from SavageWatch.com. My question for you on this podcast is about the murder of Susan LaRosa in Vernon, Connecticut in 1975 and the disappearance of her sister-in-law, or what would have been her sister-in-law, in 1971, Irene LaRosa. This case is what got me connected to you because I had been looking at the Susan LaRosa case, as well as some of the disappearances and murders of other girls in the Vernon Tolland area, such as Lisa White, Deborah Spickler, uh, Patty Luce, Janice Pocket, Stephanie Oliski, Don Peterson, just to name a few. The family members of uh, Susan LaRosa's husband, also the brother of Irene LaRosa, have done some YouTube videos saying that they do not believe that this person is responsible for the murder as well as, shall we say, probably both murders, but they think it could be other family members. What is your opinion about this? You know, we know that you wrote a book about it called Missing in Connecticut. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about why you believe that Susan's husband is the one responsible, not only for her murder, but most likely that of his own sister. Well, Terry, yeah, I just saw those uh, those new uh, podcasts that were put out, and it's kind of interesting because I started interviewing people in this case, um, the disappearance of Susan and Irene LaRosa, back in 2017, and uh, I'm going to tell you right here and now that those uh, podcasts that have been put out are just merely deflective tools used to misguide people. Um, although other family members were suspicious at the time, or they may have been part of the uh, homicides, uh, the, the direct culprit uh, in the case originally was, uh, or the first person of interest, Robert LaRosa, the husband of um, uh, Susan LaRosa, who disappeared in 75. Uh, let me just give preface this by saying that uh, I have interviewed almost everybody involved in that case. Uh, Some people I found credible. Some people were just blatantly lying to me. Uh, I have been investigating and interviewing people for crimes for over 35 years. And uh, what I'm going to say is based on my training experience and the result of the interviews, once again, all of those videos that were put out are deflective. Uh, as a matter of fact, some of the people in the interview, when I interviewed them, who are now on this podcast, um, actually were telling me that it was Robert LaRosa who committed the crime. Um, we do know that his the first person that we know, are aware of in his family that disappeared was his sister, Irene, in 1971. He had told family members up until 2016 that he had filed a missing person report for her, uh, which was never filed. 
Um, he lied about that. He said that she had been spotted in other locations. We know that's not true. Uh, her serial, her social security number has been run. Her name and date of birth have been run throughout the uh, throughout uh, North America and Canada. And she seemed to have disappeared in 1971 at the age of 17. Now, then two years, three years later, her aunt. Susan LaRosa, who is the wife of Robert LaRosa, um, is reported to have disappeared. Well, to kind of digress, I had been called to a house in, uh, I believe it was Massachusetts, and I had, uh, at their request, they wanted to, uh, you know, wanted me to look into this case. And I did take time, and I did did look into it, and the more I looked into it, the more interesting it got, because I believe that there were links to other cases, uh, which included uh, Spickler, uh, Janice Pocket, Lisa Joy White. Um, as far as certain other people like Matt Phelps and these other people that believe that they were, that these uh, crimes were committed by people that were either residing out of state is incorrect. For a simple reason that the number of women that disappeared between 68 and uh, <clears throat> 78 in the Vernon area, th these were all geographical crimes. These are geographical predators, and um, at that time, the LaRosas lived in all those areas that these people disappeared in. So, getting back to Susan LaRosa, I had interviewed her daughter. Stacy, who at the time was five, was in the house when the homicide occurred. Uh, she told me what she saw. And I, you may say, yeah, she's five years old, but <clears throat> five-year-olds remember a lot. So I wrote down everything she said, every fact that she told me during an interview process with other people <clears throat> were 100% supported fact. So she wasn't making things up. She wasn't lying. And everything that she said was accurate. Um, I, I had talked to uh, a brother-in-law, an ex-brother-in-law who lived in uh, in Maine, uh, Barry Prentice. Um, <clears throat> although Barry Prentice wasn't telling me the whole truth, and he's still alive, and I believe he knows, and you know he should man up and tell us what happened to these girls, because he knows, he knows, you know. Um, Sometimes you got to do the right thing, Barry. You know, I, I think this is a deflective tool being used by the family because of some type of embarrassment. Well, you know what? It's better to know who did it than not to know who did it. Uh, but during the interview process, I was told by... My, my interview with Barry Prentice was kind of an interesting uh, interview. I did, I did that in 2017, and... Uh, he had basically, I, I asked him what the crime scene looked like. And he said to me, it was like somebody, well, his first statement was, that as I walked up to the house, Robert LaRosa was standing on the porch or in the stairway yelling, don't go near my fucking car, don't go near my fucking car. And I said, why was that? He said, well, because Susan's body was in it. Well, how would you know it was in it? I'll tell you how he knew it was in it. That's what Stacy LaRosa told me. Another man, 
her father after her mother was struck in the head by Robert LaRosa. Um, Robert went out and got a, another person who she didn't identify by name, but said smoked a pipe with cherry tobacco. Well, lo and behold, during the interview, what did Barry Prentice smoke? Cherry tobacco. Oh, and by the way, Barry Prentice was uh, a part-time janitor in the same school system that Janice Pocket was in. When Janice Pocket disappeared, police went to review her medical records. Um, they were not there. Just saying. Okay, so Barry knows that the body's in the car. Sure he knows. Sure he knows. And he said he was made aware of the situation. Yeah, I know, because Robert came and got you. That's how you were made aware of the situation. You, the girl smelled cherry tobacco. You smoked cherry tobacco, okay? <clears throat> then he said what really caught his attention was a large rocket, large bloody rock in the center of the living room. Well, one, I never told him that um, the homicide occurred in the living room, nor did I ever say he say that she was struck in the head. Okay, so here we go. You see, this is this is the pattern. This is what the family's trying to lie about. These are statements made by two independent people collaborating the same fact. You see what I'm saying? Now, other things. There was a statement of a putty knife used to clean up the blood that was on the um, in the house and on the stairwell going downstairs when she was being carried to the car. People in the family will deny it. However, I talked to a, an ex-sister-in-law who said she was the one that was given the putty knife by by Robert LaRosa to clean the blood up. Okay, why would she lie? How would she know about the putty knife? The putty knife was also brought up in an interview with... Uh, that was also messaged by Stacy LaRosa. Stacy LaRosa had a, a, a individual residing in the house. Uh, he was the boyfriend of Robert LaRosa and his new girlfriend, uh, uh, Robin Schultz, who had moved into the house a few days after uh, the homicide. While he was in their Strat Stafford Spring house, he found a a cigarette box or a cigar box in a uh, rafter up in the, the basement. When he opened it up, there was a putty knife wrapped in the same type of clothing material that Susan O'Rosa's remains were found in. Um, the Vernon Police Department denied. Okay, so Vernon Police Department denied that any any of this putty knife was uh, turned in. Robert LaRosa had contacts with the Vernon Police Department and Connections. However, they denied that this putty knife ever existed or any evidence in that case was ever turned on. In, however, I have a letter from the Vernon Police Department Detective Lieutenant who says that thanking this gentleman for turning evidence in, and they requested that we return the letter, which never happened, is never going to happen, so forget about it. Um, there was too many facts uh, that collaborate all of the information that was given. Um, and as a matter of fact, I'm going to throw you in a better one. Barry told me that he was called over to Robert's house one day to work on a, an ambulance, a used ambulance, van style. Um, he wanted to 
Robert wanted some wiring put in it. Barry found it. And he questioned, questioned Robert about it because the van was um, soundproofed. And when he asked Robert why the van was soundproofed, he said because he could put anybody in the back of the van and do whatever he wanted. What was seen in the uh, some of these cases, always a van. Okay, The van, uh, I had notified uh, Trooper Givens about the van. Uh, I had advised and informed the Vernon Police about the van, which was last known in North Carolina, which is probably destroyed by now. Uh, you could have taken the DNA evidence off of that, and as usual, both departments failed to respond in a correct or timely manner, therefore letting crucial evidence go, which really pisses my ass off because that's what's wrong with these fucking police departments when they don't follow up on shit because you could have solved, I'll guarantee you, half a dozen crimes. And when I turned around and asked Barry, hey, Barry, let me ask you a question. Um, was Robert involved in the rest of these disappearances? And did he, did he kill his wife? And he says, yeah. So what's that tell you? Okay, so as far as this smut, this, 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 these bullshit podcasts these other people are putting out, they're deflective. They're, they're, they have no truth. They don't, the, the statements I got from all of these other individuals, whether they know it or not, they collaborated each one's facts. Um, although uh, Barry's wife did lie to me, which I always thought she was lying in the first place. Uh, ex-wife, um, he said that he and his wife went over to that Ward Street apartment. Okay? Uh, this bullshit, I'm telling you that it was uh, uh, Robert's girlfriend, uh, Robin, that killed her. Uh, Nathan LaRosa, who was not, who may have helped kill her, but Nathan wouldn't have had a reason to be there by himself. Um, you know, they're just, they're just throwing blame on dead people because... It's easier to do it that way, and it, it uh, diverts suspicion. Uh, I'm still going with my my first call um, that her husband did it, and her husband uh, did her his sister, and a lot of probably a few more people. Uh, Talked to people, older people in that town, and basically they said you never walked by the. La Rosa house during the day or night because if you did you may become a victim of some type of victim so with that being the case Terry that's what I think I'm by the the, the number of people which were over eight that I interviewed they all collaborated each other's story uh, just just one FYI um, <clears throat> they had called uh, Henry Lee's uh, Connecticut's famous uh, forensic blah 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 um, he did a, some type of investigation in 2007, and he said that they couldn't determine if there was any biological evidence. Of course not, because the house had been rebuilt twice since then. Not to burst your bubble, baby, but probably the wrong time to do it. At that time, the Vernon Police Department failed to act because they believed that she was just a runaway. Um, you know, she did. Uh, a lot of family members in my book had some really bad things to say about Susan LaRosa, However, regardless of what her personality or character was, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, it was a life uh, untimely death that shouldn't have occurred. And I'll tell you what, 
I know and you know, and I hope you're listening to me, you people in that family know who the fuck did it and who did a lot more. And you're cowards, you're cowards, you're cowards because you don't have enough balls to tell anybody. So do I believe your podcast? No, I don't. This is Michael C. Bouchard, host of Night Stalker Podcast. This is season number two, episode 266.